Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype, right to the heart of the big issues of the day. Today, we're covering the latest Own Your Worth report from UBS Global Wealth Management, looking at why women abdicate financial decisions. This research explores the relationship between women, men and money and considers the role that men play in women's financial participation. When women don't participate, are men part of the problem? And can they become part of the solution? The report published this month explores couples' relationship with money and addresses what inequality in financial decision-making could ultimately cost them. While couples agree on the importance of both partners engaging in financial decisions to achieve true gender equality, half of married women continue to defer to their spouses. And with the report finding that only 20% of couples participate equally in financial decisions, clearly the need for change in this area is urgent. Well, that's the background now let's meet today's panellists. We welcome back to the programme Carrie Shuffman, head of the Women's Strategic Client Segment at UBS Global Wealth Management. And we welcome Kimberly Twombly, Senior VP and Financial Advisor at UBS Global Wealth Management out of San Francisco. Kerry, Kimberly, great to have you both with us. Let's kick off with some overall takeaways of the report. And Kerry, I'll start perhaps with you. Let's focus on one, you know, one of the maybe the headline figures only one in five couples participate equally in financial decisions. And I'm well, I'm sure I wasn't alone. I kind of had to read that a couple of times because it looks a pretty a pretty bad a pretty bad number. What what did you make of the of that specific finding and the and the other main takeaways from the piece? Sure. Well well thanks for having having us on today, Tom. And and frankly, you know, it's it's certainly not where we want to be in twenty twenty one nor where we should be. Uh, in terms of that, that 20% stat that only one in five couples participate equally in the major financial decisions. And, and I think that we can and, and frankly need to do better. Uh, and that was really the, the impetus for the report. We wanted to further explore the gender imbalance that we've continued to find that exists when it comes to long-term finances. And then, of course, in addition to the backdrop of the COVID-19 pandemic's disproportionate impact on women that we're all very familiar with. I know we talked about that the last time I was on uh, with you, Tom. And so that's really why we looked at, in particular for this latest On Your Worth report, the roles that men potentially play in women's financial behavior and, and focus specifically on men and women in heterosexual couples because of our continued findings that the majority of both men and women believe that women's financial participation is key to achieving gender equality. And even in this latest report, we went a step further and found that almost all couples, so 96% of women and 98% of men, agree that women should be more involved in the long-term financial decisions. But what was most surprising to me, and, and I think the biggest takeaway is this disconnect, Tom, as you mentioned, between people clearly recognizing, both men and women recognizing the importance of women's financial participation, and then what actually happens behind closed doors within households, since only 20% of couples are actually doing this. And again, another key takeaway we found was that about half of women in couples continue to defer uh, these long-term financial decisions to their spouse or partner and are, are not involved in these major decisions. Um, another key takeaway I'd highlight is, is, again, the gap in perception that exists between men and women. So 70% of men told us that they take the lead on the long-term financial decisions, but only 50% of women saw it that way. So a gap of 20%. 
And in turn, 30% of women told us that they took the lead, but only one in 10 men saw it that way. So another gap of, of 20%. So not only are only one in five couples sharing in these decisions equally, there's also clearly a disconnect between those who don't share equally on who's actually doing what and who's taking the lead. Yeah, really, really interesting and a, a summary of some of the really striking findings of the report. And Katie, perhaps I can throw to you now. How do those findings that Kerry mentions there, how does that sort of accord with I guess the more the quotidian, the day-to-day conversations that you actually have with with clients, to the kind of questions indeed that they're posing to you on a on a regular basis. That does, does that sound kind of maybe depressingly familiar in in point of fact? Actually, it's depressing data for sure. And because of this conversation, I went and I looked at my client base, and I obviously haven't asked them these exact questions, but about. Two thirds of my clients are active and equally share in the um, financial decisions around investments and wealth planning. And so I am hopeful we all can get there and it can be even better than that. But it, it's, it's an exceptionally scary statistic and it has significant long-term ramifications. And we recognize that you know, whether it's just by habit, people fall into roles. And I think this is, again, something great about the report is that it can show us that, okay, we may have fallen into these certain roles and stereotypes and let's, let's now try and do something about it, right? First there's, it's acknowledging the problem and then it's actually providing a platform and a lot of responsibility on my part and other advisors to make sure all voices are heard when we're talking about money and financial planning. Well, yeah, and that's obviously really encouraging about your your own client base and that experience. And I guess that gives us lots to uh, sort of uh, aspire to in a way because it, it shows how, how successfully it can be done. Just quickly though, Katie, where, where then it doesn't happen, what are the reasons? Because it's this, I think, disconnect uh, was the, the phrase again that Kerry used there. Where... where Couples are agreed on the need to do this, and yet this this continuing deferment happens. Do we have a real understanding about why that is? My opinion is that we divide and conquer. We're all overly booked, right? And so we only have so much time in the day. And so if the stereotype is women want to invest time and money in the family, they may be spending their free time more on those roles than sitting down and thinking about long-term financial planning or their investment portfolio. So I don't think that that there's a fault. It's just more of an awareness that we need to absorb and try and do something about. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Carrie, you already mentioned that we spoke before, I think, well, it's just at the end of at the end of last year or at the start of, of 2021 about your work more broadly, in fact. And I just thought it would be instructive at this point to get a bit of a, a refresher from you almost about the strategic direction of the, the women's segment. Can you put this in a, in context for us? And at the risk of asking you a, an impossibly broad question, really impress upon us why this is so critical, not just for UBS, but for the entire industry. Sure, absolutely. Well, the, the women's segment at UBS is, is really focused on helping women navigate their financial lives and, and prepare for their financial futures, as, as we've talked about a little bit before. And the ultimate goal, just as we're talking about today, is really to help women achieve greater financial and hopefully thus overall 
well-being. And we do that through developing research like this latest Own Your Worth report, uh, developing supporting resources and content for women and for our financial advisors uh, and more. And so really the strategic direction has been influenced by what we've talked about today, right? To understand the major trends that impact women and their financial lives, and then to help women participate more meaningfully in those major financial decisions that will impact them, their loved ones, and their futures. And as we like to say, uh, help more women take their seat at the financial table. And in terms of why this is so critical for the entire industry, uh, the data really speaks for itself. Eight in 10 women in the U.S. will find themselves in a position where they have to manage their finances alone at some point. Uh, This is because of major trends like the fact that women tend to outlive men on average by five years or more. Uh, The fact that the divorce rate in the U.S. hovers just below 50% and gray divorce or divorce in couples over 50 has tripled since the 90s. And of course, there's many women who choose not to be in a formal partnership. Uh, Marriage rates are decreasing across the board. So all of these trends are sort of conspiring to lead to the fact that 80% of women will find themselves in a position where they have to independently manage their finances alone. And not to mention, you know, on on the bright side, it's also really critical because women are controlling more wealth than ever before. Women control $11 trillion in wealth in the U.S. and are on track to control an additional $20 trillion by 2030 over the course of the next decade. And, And women are also making tremendous advances in all parts of society, in the workplace, in the public and private sector, in their communities. And so the fact is, though, that so many women tell us that they are not as confident in making these long-term financial decisions, or frankly, that they are not involved, that they defer to a partner or spouse, that they aren't as engaged as they'd like to be. And so really, I think it's, it's incumbent upon all of us as the financial services industry, as financial professionals, we all have an obligation and, and a responsibility to understand these trends and what they mean, not just for our clients, but for women more broadly. And that's really where where it's really important for for the industry to to understand the importance of this topic. And the other thing that's really important to understand, and, and it was really the basis for this report, is that this is not just a women's issue, right? Uh, Men and women agree that women should be more involved in long-term finances. And men and women see women's financial involvement as key to achieving gender equality. So again, this is something for all men and women to think about, and certainly for male financial professionals as well. They can also play a role in encouraging more women to take their seat at the financial table. And and as we like to say, there's certainly room at that table for for everyone. So let's all focus on, on making it. Yeah, absolutely. And and Katie, if I can come back to you here, just to some of those points that Kerry was making there, there's such a compelling sort of raft of of reasons to to engage with this. And hopefully people will dip into the report to to find out more. But to this point more broadly then about what this overdue and really meaningful change looks like, how we actually get there, the mechanics of it, it obviously requires this kind of broader buy-in from everybody, all the stakeholders, from women, from men, from everybody. Do you have any insights as to what that, what, what is really going to drive that change? And indeed, what drives it at a, a pace that's acceptable? Yeah. And I think that the, the, the resources and the content Carrie is providing, Carrie and her team are providing to myself as a financial advisor, um, to all the advisors at UBS and to the industry in general is exceptionally important. You know, UBS isn't alone to have a lot of male advisors as well as female advisors, but there's more male than female advisors. And this gives a great opportunity for them to have 
resources to try and engage more with the women of, you know, in the client base. And so I think that any tool that can help us have easier conversations is going to make a change. Is the change happening at a pace that I find acceptable? Of course not. We live in a society that we want change yesterday. And so I feel that there's a great responsibility on my part and on my colleagues' part to make sure we are providing an environment that makes everyone feel heard. We're talking about the the areas that are important to all clients. So if they don't want to talk about investments, but they want to talk about making sure they have enough money to pay for their child's education or their grandchild's education, then let's talk about that. Let's talk about the things that they care about. It doesn't necessarily have to be about a particular investment. It's about the intent of their wealth, and maybe that will engage them. Well, yeah, and I did want to pick up actually, Katie, with you was something that Kerry indeed mentioned right near the top, which was about the impact of the pandemic. And obviously, it's been an extraordinarily turbulent, what, kind of 18 months now, which has reshaped so many things. And there's a fear, a very active fear, I think, amongst many observers of this space that a number of stereotypes around gender roles, these kind of assumptions have actually got worse as a consequence. And Kerry did allude to this earlier, and I know the findings of the report, I think, speak to that. How much has the pandemic changed the the narrative in your day-to-day, Katie, when you talk to clients who are discussing these sorts of themes? Well, I, I have to acknowledge that, you know, I feel that most clients of UBS are in, in a pretty fortunate place. And so some of the, the general stereotypes that are coming out in terms of the data around the general stereotypes may not play out as we see in our everyday lives. And I frankly, I've actually found the pandemic to be more helpful to get both clients on a call because they're both working out of the same home office, right? So it's it's been actually beneficial for me, which sounds exceptionally selfish, but I do, you know, a handful of years ago, I heard Anne-Marie Slaughter speak and she talked about how women should never step out of the workforce, but step aside, always do something, whether you write, you consult, you sit on a board, you volunteer time, always do something so that you can put on your resume because it makes it so much easier to step back into the workforce. And I've actually used that with clients for a long time as they're maybe starting a family, et cetera. And, you know, that advice continues, you know, pre-pandemic, post-pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. I, I did want to ask you, Kerry, about one or two other sort of slightly more kind of granular details of the piece. One thing that I found really interesting was this idea that if we look at the millennial segment, millennial women, more likely to defer financial decision making, in fact, than some other demographies, and yet at the same time, the most open to changing that dynamic. And I was going to ask you whether you're sort of heartened and dismayed by that in equal measure or more heartened than, than, than dismayed, because it was quite an interesting finding. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's it's really fascinating. And I've been particularly uh, fascinated by and interested in the millennial statistics that we've found over the last few years, um, including in this latest report. And as you mentioned, we've continued to find over the last few years that millennial women and couples defer the financial decisions to a partner or spouse, particularly within the context of heterosexual couples at even higher rates 
than women of prior generations. So rather than breaking the status quo, despite how outspoken, how focused on, you know, advancing millennial women are in terms of, you know, rising tides, we still see that millennial women are actually perpetuating this lack of involvement, falling into more traditional gender roles at home when it comes to the finances. And millennial couples actually shared in these decisions the least, so only 15% of the time compared to 20% of the time overall across the board of all generations. Uh, But as you said, there is good news, so there is optimism, in particular with millennial women and men. And so our research did show that 90% of men, almost 90% of men, wish their wives were more involved in the financial decisions and over half of women in turn said they wish they were more involved and these numbers actually were even higher among millennials both men and women who said that they wished either men who said they wished their wives were more involved or women who said they wish they were more involved so again there's a lot of wishing and intending going on um we saw this with the pandemic as well a lot of women told us that they intended to take action and then the question of whether they actually took that action as it pertained to becoming more involved in the finances, I think is still sort of up in the air. And so how can we actually spur action, right? I think part of you know the problem is acknowledging the problem exists and part of actually taking the steps to correct that problem involves wanting to change. So the, the desire to change does seem to be there, but how can we actually change this dynamic? How can we spur change? And, and what does this really mean? I mean, for example, really fascinating, the large majority of single millennial women we surveyed through our research with single women about a year and a half ago told us among those single women who hoped to get married one day, they told us, the large majority told us they plan to share in the financial decisions equally with their future spouse or partner. But we know through this latest research that only 15% of millennial couples actually do share. So so what's going on here, right? Why is there this tremendous drop off? And why is there such a disconnect again between intentions uh, for a future partnership and then what actually happens within the partnership and, and how can we change that? So those are some of the most interesting findings, I'd say, around millennials. But also there is you know, certainly hope and, and uh, good news there as well. Pre-pandemic, you know, knowing this data, and I think when the one of the initial reports came out, this is where, again, I felt this obligation, right? I'm a female, I'm in finance, and this next generation isn't taking control of their finances. So I started doing these, I called them off the record, conversations about money and investing, where we'd get a group of young women together and they could ask me any question. What was the difference between a Roth or a traditional IRA? You know, how much do you have to put down when you buy a house? The difference between an ETF and a mutual fund? Just, you know, some basics. But I wanted to give them a platform to feel like they've got this. You know, these are great questions. They're, you know, hopefully they view me as a resource to help them provide the answers. And now they've built this community of other women that were around the table that they they could refer to if they had a question because some of the gals answered each other's questions. So it was really lovely. And it's one of these groups was a group of Ivy League grads in their early 20s. And you would have thought that they would have left college with this financial literacy, but they didn't. And so we need financial advisors, we need to take our knowledge and share it down, right? And make sure that this next generation of women feels confident, has the resources to sit at that table and feel really comfortable about the decisions that they make. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I was going to kind of ask you actually, Katie, next uh, about what we do decisively to ensure we keep delivering. But you've addressed that so so well there. <laughs> Kerry, maybe I'll just get a maybe perhaps a final thought even from you on that theme. We began by talking a little bit about you know, this disappointing number and this kind of thing. Maybe we can look to the future, but in a sense, also discuss a, just briefly about what the perpetuation of this kind of inequality in financial decision-making threatens, I guess, for, for all the stakeholders here. Can you tell us a little bit about what happens if we don't address change uh, fast enough? And then maybe, yeah, throw one eye to the future on uh, what you think we need to look out for as the next big achievements to really uh, mark significant progress? Yeah, I mean, I think the question of what financial inequality threatens or costs in the long term is really important because it does threaten a lot of things. That's the reality, you know, not to take a a doomed approach or to to focus on the negative, but it is really important. And I I think a lot of it comes down to, and, and KT mentioned this, and we've talked about this before, that women often think that by not focusing on the finances and deferring these decisions to a spouse or partner and not having to deal with them, that it frees them to focus on other things. But the reality is that it can often trap them. And not to mention by not being involved in the major financial decisions that impact you or your loved ones or your future, you also potentially miss out on key opportunities to unlock the life and the legacy that you want for yourself. And again, I think the data, and I mentioned some of the data before, is also really compelling and demonstrates this problem. And part of the key to addressing the problem is to acknowledge that it's a problem in the first place, right? And I think what's concerning is there are so many women and men who don't see this as an issue or something that they need to be concerned with. Even in our first Own Your Worth report three years ago, we were surprised at the number of women who said that they didn't think that you know, a death or divorce would have a major impact on their financial lives and who said they were fine with the current division of labor, seeing it as sort of a, you know, the divide and conquer approach. He handles X, Y, and Z, often including the finances. She handles A, B, and C, often focused on, you know, household responsibilities, childcare, again, within the context of a, a traditional heterosexual marriage falling into traditional gender roles. And so, you know, it's, it's hard to, you know, what's wrong with that picture, right? If it's working for you, what's wrong? But The reality is, again, we know that eight in 10 women in the U.S. will have to manage their finances on their own at some point for all of the reasons and the trends that I mentioned before. And and so statistically, women will have to figure out their finances on their own at some point. And this also goes for married, happily married women today who may end up having to deal with financial surprises they don't know about. Maybe it's a bad investment or accounts they didn't know about or a will or beneficiaries that haven't been updated. And so while many women may not have responsibility for their finances today, they should count on having it in the future. It's, it's really just a simple fact rooted in, in data. And by not participating, you are you become unprepared for taking on those responsibilities if and, and really when the time comes. And, and I can promise you uh, and I'm sure KT would agree that the time to understand how much money you have for retirement is not suddenly when you might end up facing retirement alone. And that's really why the majority of, of both widows and divorcees that we've spoken with told us they wish they had been more involved in their finances while they were part of a couple. So we really want fewer women to have regrets about money throughout the course of their lives. And it's really that comes down to participating equally starting today. And again, within the context of the greater picture, the amount of wealth that women control, the reality also is, you know, the face of wealth is changing. It's becoming more female. 
And so there's really no question for all of these reasons that women need to get involved and take ownership of their, their finances and, and for all of us to really address the problem of financial inequality. It's great to hear that. And I just wonder, again, if we take an even sort of longer term view or if people indeed listening to this say, you know, what's going to happen next? How am I going to see the progress you've described there? What should they look for? What, what, what is the next steps? Yeah, well, I think what happens next is we need to continue to do the work, right, to spread this message of women's financial participation, to spread the, you know, the research, the own your worth message to women, to men of all backgrounds, ages, financial situations, and to continue to arm financial advisors with the resources to help them better engage and serve women uh, from an industry perspective as well. I mean, even just hearing KT and the, the off the record classes that she offered, you know, those are the things that can really move the needle and, and lead to change and spur action. And, you know, this this latest report, it's only been out a week, out a week as, as of the time that we're having this conversation. And we've really already been overwhelmed with the positive response from both women and men. So again, I think the intention is there to spur change. And so now we really just need to focus on taking action to actually drive that change, helping women see the dangers of not participating, as well as the tremendous benefits of participating, helping men understand how they can make room at that financial table. And then the responsibility on each of us to ask ourselves, you know, do I have a good handle on my financial situation or as a financial advisor, am I making sure that all of my clients, men and women, feel that they have that good handle on their financial situation. And so the, if the answer isn't a steadfast yes for yourself, for all of your clients, you know, take the steps and the time to do so. And especially for anyone listening, you know, who's not a financial professional, you know, you can start small, have that money conversation with a partner or spouse, show up for meetings with your financial advisor, no matter how busy you are, no matter how many other things you think you'd rather be doing with that time, you know, change can start small and it certainly needs to start somewhere. I would just add, use this podcast as an example to have that conversation. Can we talk about money, right? And so everyone needs a little bit of nudge every once in a while, and hopefully this podcast can do just that to help make a difference. Kimberly Twombly, Kerry Shuffman, huge thanks to you both. And that does bring us to the end of this edition of The Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda in the fast-moving world of finance each week here on Monocle 24. You can find out more about the themes we've been discussing today. Head to ubs.com forward slash women. And as ever, you can listen again and find out more about this programme at monocle.com or catch up via your preferred podcast platform. The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24.